Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. This afternoon I'd like to offer some reflections on... our intention in spiritual practice and in speech and communication. So I'll speak for a little while and I invite you to practice listening with some embodied awareness. So right now as you hear my voice, maybe as you see my image, the space in the room, can there be some awareness of your body? Maybe feeling your hands or the contact with the chair. And just see from time to time, can you, can you come back? Can you check in? Uh, mm work with maintaining some of this inner awareness as you listen. And then uh, we'll have some time for a short uh, interactive practice and some discussion. So spiritual practice and um, the subset of spiritual practice of communication uh, entails a, a pretty radical shift in our, our default conditioned intention. So uh, what, is, what is our default? So in, uh, in life, we are conditioned biologically to move towards that which is pleasant and move away from that which is unpleasant. Even the most you know, rudimentary forms of life of an amoeba, you know, will kind of move towards the, the things that are nourishing for it and retract, recoil from things that are you know, toxic or not nourishing. And so millions of years of evolution compels us to uh, want things that feel good in some way, even if they're ultimately not healthy for us. <laughs> and to resist and avoid uh, things that are unpleasant, even when in some ways they might be helpful, like exercise, <laughs> right? There's certain activities that are unpleasant in the short term, but in the long term are actually quite beneficial. So, uh, what happens is that this, um, this kind of hardwired biological tendency, uh, if, if we're not aware of it and we don't begin to examine it, can begin to take over and run our life such that um, all of our actions and activities and choices to varying degrees can become governed uh, by the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. And obviously on one level that makes sense, right? You know, if, uh, 
you're sitting here and your ankle's in a funny position and it's starting to hurt, you know, that's important information and you might shift your posture. That makes sense. Uh, but what happens when it's something that we can't control or influence? Right? What happens when we get sick or when someone in our life isn't behaving the way we would like? Right? Um, what happens when the object of our desire is not within our reach? Right? So the, we have, uh, there are limits to how much we can influence and control our environment. So the more, the more we are uh, driven by and defined by um, what in Buddhist uh, thought is called uh, attachment and aversion, these forces of chasing after and grabbing on to the pleasant uh, in a compulsive way in a way that we're not really at choice. We're doing it habitually and automatically out of habit. The more we are driven by that on the one hand, and on the other hand, by aversion, by avoiding, resisting, um, fearing, or reacting against that which is unpleasant, uh, the less freedom we have in our lives, the less choice we have. We're just continually reacting. And it's, it's exhausting. We end up wasting a lot of our energy trying to control, trying to manipulate a world that is ultimately outside of our control. So mindfulness practice entails a radical shift in our intention. And that is this shift from our default habitual relationship to experience of wanting to control. Have you noticed this tendency in your meditation? Wanting to control what's happening or judging what's happening, right? Continually judging, this is good, this is bad. I like this, I don't like this, right? When something's pleasant's happening, oh, I'm doing so well, this is great, right? As soon as there's some unpleasant sensation or unpleasant emotion or unpleasant thought, then we start judging, oh no, I'm not doing well, it's all going to crap, this is terrible, I'll never get it. We judge in that way, just based on what we like and what we don't like. So mindfulness practice, to finish that sentence I started a moment ago, mindfulness practice entails this fundamental shift from our conditioned intention, our conditioned habitual relationship to experience, to control and judge what's happening to an intention of understanding. Can I just try to understand what's happening? What is this? What is this experience of pleasure or pain, of an emotion, of a sensation? This same shift in our intention runs right through our communication practice. So um, Donald and I like to say on these retreats and these programs, uh, you know, that communication practice, speech practice is difficult in part just because we haven't done it. Most of us don't have training in speech practice or communication, but actually that's not true. We all have communication training. It's generally just been unconscious and unintentional. 
We've been trained to communicate by our family, by our religion, by our culture, by our society, right? So we're all carrying a certain kind of training. And that training generally has certain default habitual intentions along the same lines of our biological intentions. We want the good stuff and we want to avoid the uncomfortable stuff. And we judge based on that. So when uh, somebody does something that I don't enjoy or I don't like, I judge them. What's wrong with you? Why are you being so difficult? Get it together. You're incompetent. Right? When someone does something I like, you're so wonderful. You're amazing. And then we judge ourselves. Have you noticed this in your meditation practice? Right? When something goes the way I want, I'm great. I'm such a wonderful meditator. I'm making progress. When it doesn't go the way I like it, I'm worthless, hopeless, never get it together. I've always been this way. I'll never, and so on. So this, this same conditioning to compulsively um, try to obtain the pleasant and to reactively avoid and judge the unpleasant shows up in our speech and our communication and our relationships. And in conflict, particularly, these, these, these really show up in conflict. Whenever there's some difference and things get charged at all, then these default intentions uh, show up uh, in, uh, in certain ways. We protect ourselves, defend ourselves, or we blame and attack, judge, as a way to try to stay safe and protect ourselves or to try to get our needs met. These are the behaviors that we've learned, the intentions that we've learned in order to get by. And they work to a certain extent. They get us, they get us through but they're limited. So the foundation of our communication and our speech practice is also a shift in our intention. So can we shift out of our default habitual learned intentions to control, to resist, to judge, to blame, to attack, to defend? to this fundamental intention to understand. Can I just try to understand what's going on here? And this is a radical shift. This is not a small thing. Anytime you're having a conversation with someone and we remember this fundamental intention to just say, oh, I could get curious here. I could just try to understand this has the potential to transform the whole atmosphere and direction of the conversation. So I like to say that intention is the single most powerful and transformative ingredient in dialogue. Intention. It determines the direction, how we're approaching things. And it's the same in our meditation practice, how we are approaching our experience. The quality of our heart that, that from which we are meeting experience transforms what's happening. Even the most difficult, painful, emotional or physical experience, if we can approach it with patience and curiosity and compassion, it changes the whole flavor 
of what's happening and ultimately starts to change. It changes the, the conditions, like the whole ecosystem internally shifts and then things can unfold in a different way. So part of our work, so we've been exploring this morning, this first foundation of presence, of cultivating an embodied awareness as a groundwork for skillful communication. That gets us on the map if we're, once we're here, once we're present to a certain degree. The next step is to make sure that the map is oriented correctly. You know, find true north, and that's about our intention. How are we aiming? How are we approaching the situation? And can we shift from our default learned intentions to this more fundamental transformative intention to understand? So there are many ways to get there. We'll explore uh, a couple of them tomorrow, uh, today and tomorrow. Uh, one, one important point is to uh, think about why do we communicate? You know, like, why do we open up this mouth and say words or type letters or uh, gesture to one another? Why, why do we do this, right? So in, in some um, uh, analyses of communication, they... Um, talk about two different kinds of communication, strategic communication and relational communication. So strategic communication is communication that's aimed at achieving a certain end, right? We're trying to get somewhere concrete, specific, accomplish some goal, negotiate some agreement, build a bridge, so forth, okay? Strategic communication. Relational communication, we're focused on the relationship, on hearing one another, on building some kind of uh, understanding and uh, developing that, that dimension of things. From my perspective, whatever kind of communication we're engaged in, they share the common goal of creating understanding. I define communication as a process of creating understanding. Because even if we're just trying to get something done, like, hey, would you pass me the salt? I'm still trying to get a message across. I'm still trying to instigate some understanding in you. Right? Even we look at, like, if you consider communication among cells or between animals. You know, we, we know that trees communicate with each other in the forest, sending messages through, the, uh, through their roots or through the mycelium in the, uh, under, the, uh, under the ground you know, about the circumstances in the forest. It's creating understanding. It's sending a message so that there can be some response. So if the point of, of communication is to create understanding, what more useful intention to have than to try to understand? It's like so obvious when we look at it. Yet how often do we approach our conversations with that basic orientation to say, well, let me just try to hear you rather than I'm going to see who's right or how I can get the most or, 
you know, where can I prove you wrong, or what am I going to say next, or how are you seeing me, all of the other things that, that, that come in and color our conversations. So a lot of our practice, a lot of our work in this domain of training is learning how to cultivate a genuine intention to understand and finding that genuineness, not, perf- not, not as a performance, but, but real. How, do, how can I really get curious? And so this genuine intention to understand um, from my perspective has two components. One is curiosity. That's pretty obvious. Curiosity, wanting to know. And this requires a certain kind of humility. To be curious, we have to be willing to recognize that there's some things we don't know. That I might actually learn something from you. That you might possess information or knowledge that I don't have. And that through the process of our relating, I might come to see something different about myself, about you, or about a situation. So this is the first component, is curiosity. Curiosity also requires patience. We have to be willing to stay with things, to really look at them, and we see this in our meditation practice. Patience is an essential component of meditation practice. You know, you don't get through a half an hour sit without some, cultivating some patience. The other quality is care or caring. This is, this is about metta, about goodwill and kindness. So we think that we pay attention to the things that we care about in life. You know, some, some friend that we care about, we pay attention to them. Some, you know, object in our house that someone gave us, that we value, so we, 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 pay atten- we, we, we care about it, you know, so we pay attention to it, we take care of it, we don't wash the outside, we only wash the inside, things like this, the things we, we care about. But it works in the other direction, too. If we pay close attention to something, we begin to care about it because we develop a relationship with it. If you pay close enough to t- attention to anything for long enough, you will begin to care about it. It's a natural function of the heart. You even just look at these stained glass windows. You look at them long enough and you start to see, wow, somebody did that. Somebody thought about it. They drew it. They spent time. They had to learn that skill. And you develop a relationship and you start to care for an inanimate object because we, we understand you know, how it's come to be and, and, and then we have a relationship with it. So what we do with our attention, how we, how we pay attention to things, can begin to cultivate this quality of, of care and goodwill. So, how we approach a conversation and how we approach our own mind, our own experience, is transformative. Spiritual practice, one of the key journeys of spiritual and contemplative practice is the transformation of our intention from our default, habitual, learned intentions to control, manipulate, judge, protect, defend, 
to this more fundamental intention to understand, which carries within it both curiosity and a certain kindness, a certain gentleness or friendliness of heart. And that same process uh, is a journey we take in our communication and our relationships. So this practice that we've been doing in the afternoons of loving-kindness meditation or metta meditation is another powerful way to transform our intentions. Mindfulness practice uh, helps us to cultivate the intention to understand, to look closely at experience, to try to see it clearly. So what is this? What's actually happening here? Loving-kindness practice helps to transform the inner atmosphere of our heart to one of goodwill, to one of gentleness and friendliness towards ourselves and towards others. And we can be so hard on ourselves. You know, you sit down for 20 minutes to meditate on the breath and, man, you know, it's like, You feel like you came out of a boxing ring afterwards sometimes, right? It's like, what's going on here? I'm just trying to pay attention to my breath. Give me a break. (laughs) This is the need for loving kindness, for gentleness. So I want to say a few words about the, a few more words about metta and uh, where it sits within this um, cultivation of the heart in the Buddhist path. So um, metta, which... uh, the root of the word is uh, the same as the word for friendship in Sanskrit. Uh, mitta is friend and metta. So it's that sense of friendliness. It's also connected to the word uh, for gentle or gentleness. And the, one of the images that's used is it's like a gentle rain. A gentle rain nourishing the soil and the plants. And when it rains, the rain doesn't pick and choose. It just rains. And so there's that sense of the unconditional quality of loving kindness. Loving kindness is a capacity of our heart that um, comes out of the um, empathic potential of of the human psyche. And uh, in, in the Buddhist tradition, there's a word for this uh, quality of empathy. The Pali is anukampa. Anukampa. It's a beautiful word. It means to tremble with. To tremble with. To resonate. And so empathy is that, we'll say more about empathy in the coming days, but it's basically that capacity of our heart to feel with another. To resonate with another's experience. And so the basic orientation that we train in in Buddhist practice is kindness, goodwill. Just a simple wish for the well-being of others. When this resonant capacity of the heart meets difficulty and suffering in ourself or another, its response is compassion. To try to ease the pain, to see if we can help, to be present with it in a caring way, in a tender way, and to offer what we can to help. So this is the quality of karuna or compassion. When this resonant capacity of the heart meets success and happiness 
in ourself or another, when it meets beauty, the response is to rejoice, is to celebrate, is to say, yay, that's awesome, congratulations, I'm so happy for you, wonderful. This is the quality called mudita, sometimes translated as sympathetic joy or appreciative joy. It means taking happiness in the happiness of another. And this includes the appreciation and celebration of beauty and goodness in life. And then the, uh, when this resonant empathic quality of the heart meets the inevitable changes of life, the ups and downs of life, its response is to stay balanced, even, even-minded and balanced. And this is the quality known as equanimity or upeka. And it's, it's equanimity it's, is, is balance that comes from wisdom, from having perspective, from not losing perspective, from understanding, yeah, you know, sometimes life is like this. Things get hard, they change, we lose, st- we lose things, we gain things. It's, it's all a process of coming and going. And within that, we can stay even-minded and not get tossed around by things. So these four um, qualities in the heart, sometimes referred to as emotions, uh, sometimes referred to as intentions, uh, are, are known collectively as the Brahma-viharas, which means something like divine abidings or divine resting places. Uh, One translation that I really like is our best home. Our best home. There's like, this is the, this is the fullness of the human heart. And so each of these, we can train in each of these. Loving kindness, the metta practice we're doing is one technique. And there's techniques to develop each of these qualities and they're transformative. They transform our heart. They transform our experience of life. You can go on a a whole six or seven day retreat and practice loving kindness for for a week. You can do a month or six weeks practicing these Brahma Viharas, these divine abidings. And both Donald and I have done periods of intensive practice just exploring these dimensions of, of the mind. It's really wonderful, beautiful. Uh, way to cultivate oneself. So the vision that's presented in Buddhist Buddhist practice is that we can cultivate these qualities to a very high degree such that they're like a, a default, that under pressure, instead of fall instead of reverting to fear or aggression, that under pressure we revert to goodwill or compassion. The, uh, the line from the Metta Sutta, which is one of the core texts that uh, has instructions for doing loving kindness practice, there's two lines that says, let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another, nor deceive any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another, nor deceive any being in any state. So there's that sense of the expansiveness. It's not just about me, just this, this open-hearted goodwill towards all of life. 
And in the Buddhist tradition, the, uh, the training, the direction of the training is to have this quality of goodwill towards anyone and everyone, regardless of how they're treating us. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't stick up for ourselves. That doesn't mean that we can't take action, that we can't set limits or be forceful in our speech when necessary, but it means that we don't harbor ill will in the heart, that we don't let the mind move into hatred, which harms us initially and then subsequently harms others. So there's one text where the Buddha talks about all of the different ways somebody might speak to us. They might say things that are true. They might say things that are not true. They might say things that are affectionate or harsh. They might say things that are helpful or things that are unhelpful. They might say things um, that are connected to goodwill, coming from a good heart. They might say things that are hateful and mean. People might say things at the right time or at an inappropriate time. And then the instruction is regardless of how someone speaks to us, what they say or when they say it, to train ourselves that our minds shall remain unperturbed, not bent out of shape, and that we shall abide abide pervading ourselves and this person with a mind of goodwill to not lose that basic orientation of kindness. This is a protection for the heart. And it's something that we can can grow, we can develop. We can grow and develop this capacity first and foremost because our minds are designed to learn. They're not fixed. They change. And they change based on what we do with them based on the circumstances we place them in and the way that we use them. This is, from the, from the Buddhist perspective, this is what's known as bhavana, mental cultivation. Today it's called neuroplasticity. <laughs> that our minds change in their shape and function based on how we use them. So this is a very powerful training, training in intention. And I want to offer you two, um, a, a suggestion of a, of a practice to train an intention in your life and in your speech and your relationships. And so the training is one of asking yourself two questions as kind of a contemplation or a meditation. The first question is, where am I coming from? Where am I coming from? And this is just that sense of turning our awareness inward towards our intention. We were talking in one of the groups about, you know, coworkers who one doesn't really want to have much of a relationship with. I don't really want to be connected to these people, you know? And that's fine. It's not, you know, connection isn't a dogma that we should be connected to everyone in our life. You know, maybe there's some people you don't want to have a relationship with. That's completely understandable. But that doesn't mean that we have ill will towards them. Can we still have a sense of, of, of kindness inside? And can we treat them with respect regardless of how they're treating us? To not allow, our, to not allow another person's behavior to determine 
how I respond or how I treat others and behave in life. To have our behavior and our, our, uh, our actions be determined by our values rather than in reaction to other people's behavior. And one of the ways to do this is to develop um, the habit of inquiring and tracking, where am I coming from? What's my intention? How often do we do this when we speak, when we open our mouth, when we send an email, when we send a text message? How often do we pause to say, okay, where am I coming from? Am I coming from a good heart? Am I coming from kindness? Am I wanting to do something else that's going to be less helpful? So the first question is, where am I coming from? The second question, and this is very important, the second question is, how does this feel? So whatever you discover, maybe you discover, you know, I'm, I'm kind of annoyed and ticked off and I'm coming out of reactivity and aversion. Don't stop there. Look deeper. How does this feel to be coming from this place? Now, this is really important because this is where the learning actually happens. This is where our nervous system, our... our, our um, our nervous system, and on some deeper level, our psyche starts to, to uh, develop a felt sense for what's helpful and what's harmful to ourselves and to others through the tone of our experience. Any intention that's going to lead to harm, anger, hatred, cruelty, irritation, annoyance, jealousy, greed, all of these are going to be tinged with an unpleasant sensation of some kind. Some sense of, you know, contraction or sharpness or discontent or uneasiness. And we can feel it if we look, if we listen. Maybe not at first, but if you stay with it over time, you will start to feel what that feels like. And when we come from a good intention, kindness, compassion, Generosity, forgiveness, gratitude, sharing, self-sacrifice, openness, trust, honesty, patience. These also have a certain feeling, a certain tonality to them. They feel bright, clean, stable, open, clear. And so we can develop a sensitivity for the tone of our intentions and then use that as a guide. We start to start to feel it when we're coming from a place that we know is going to be tricky, going to get us embroiled and entangled in more complication in our life. So we can transform our default intentions from attachment and aversion, trying to get all the good stuff and avoid the difficulties, controlling and judging, protecting and defending and attacking, to a fundamental intention to understand, to approach experience from curiosity and care. That's possible. And we can do this by investigating, where am I coming from? How's this feel?
So I'll stop here. There's plenty to think about. And uh, I think what I'd like to do is to, to shift gears to a short interactive practice and then have some discussion. Does that, does that, does that work for folks? Yeah? Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.